what is the second commandment? Second commandment is, is that I shall not take the image, any created image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, shall stop visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. If you've never been to a part of a church that does this kind of like responsive readings that the congregation reads, sure, it may sound like a jumbled bunch of words being spoken, but it's important that we as, as a congregation, as one body in Christ, are reading the same thing, that we believe this together. Sure, it could have been easy for me just to read it, right? It may have sound better. But it's not as beautiful as the church reading the, God's word together. So that's why we do that. And uh, if I can get uh, Ben Flora to come up. And Ben Flora is going to preach for us. He's going to preach from God's word today. And just to kind of give you a little bit of context. Um, when we started Redeemer Fellowship Church, we started at USI, right? And Ben was a part of our church from the beginning. And we always wanted to be a church that raised up leaders for the church. And so last year we started an internship, and uh, Javante Moss is in that internship, and Ryan Taylor, who's not here, maybe you know Ryan, is also a part of that internship, and Ben is a part of that internship. And one of their tasks is to preach on Sunday morning for us. And so Ben has been preparing this sermon for several months, and we're, I've been working with him on this, and God has a word to give you through Ben. So I'm going to pray for Ben, and then he's going to preach. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for Ben. I thank you for his family for being here and friends for driving down to support him and to just be encouraged by what you're doing in his life. Lord, I thank you for that, Lord, that you have raised Ben up. He loves your word and he wants to be used by you. Lord, I pray that you would speak through him, speak through his preparation, Lord. Pray that, his, that your spirit, Lord, would guide him. Pray that we would have attentive hearts and attentive minds to hear what you have to say through him. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you so much for what you're doing, that you're raising up men and women, Lord, to be about your church. I pray that you would continue to do that here. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so as the TV um, says, I'll be preaching the book of Luke today. And um, it is chapter 9, verses 46 through 50. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and stood him by his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is the least among you all, the one who is the greatest. And John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. So in this um, section that we see here, um, we see an issue of pride. And this picture I have up here, it's um, a character from DC Comics. He's one of my um, favorite superheroes uh, to read about. I first saw him in the Justice League cartoon when I was a little kid. 
His name is Booster Gold. And um, I feel like he kind of encompasses this idea of pride really well. So to give you a little bit of background on this um, character. So he's from the 25th century. And he's a football player. And um, he's really good. He gets a full rent scholarship. He goes professional. And then it's, they find out, there's this big scandal where they find out that he's been betting against himself and throwing games. And um, he gets like real shamed because of it, and he has to become a um, night guard at the Metropolis Museum of like Space and Superheroes. So, um, so what he does one night is he decides he wants to be famous again. So he steals a super suit from one of the superhero exhibits. He steals like um, a power ring, a force field belt, and um, hops in a time machine and goes back to the 21st century to become a famous superhero. And um, basically all he does is show up at crime scenes after like the situation has been solved by like Batman or Superman or the Justice League and like try to take credit for it. And um, he'll like find out about events that happened in the past and he knows how they're gonna turn out and shows up like when they're done. And what happens is is like none of the other heroes in DC Comics like ever want to deal with them. Because he's just annoying, he's stuck up, he's always about his own glory, his own um, greatness. Um, he's after being considered great by the world. And how his story ends is um, there's this big event in DC Comics where, and there's like all these other realities, and there's all these problems going on. And what happens is, is Booster Gold has to go and solve all these things. But like, it's dumb comic book stuff. But like no one can know about it. Like it'll like be all ruined. So in his end, the way his story ends is that instead of pursuing his own greatness, he has to become a servant for like the whole of reality, and no one can ever know about it. He never receives any greatness from it, and then he's done. Like he doesn't exist anymore. He stops existing after that. And he's just a super interesting character, really funny, um, and yeah. So. I really like him, and I feel like he kind of encompasses these two ideas that um, of greatness really well. Because on the one hand, you have Booster Gold at the beginning of his superhero career, where he's very prideful, very about himself. Um, it's all about having a name, having power, being in the right circle, in the right clique. And then later on, you have a person who's fully willing to serve to the point that their name doesn't matter at all. And that's the one that's greater. Like this one that is in all the right places isn't the one you would want to aspire to be. So um, now to um, start the sermon, we're going to start by um, setting the stage of the story that I just read and um, kind of go into a bit of the argument and <coughs> like that. So this first point, this first point is who's the greatest and um, I think there's a lot of things if you go back through this chapter of Luke that you can see how the disciples got to the point where like they're kind of puffed up on this pride and um, they're kind of bragging about it. So at the beginning of chapter 9, we see Jesus giving um, the disciples power to cure diseases and drive out demons. Um, he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That's what he says. He, take, he says, take nothing on your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not even have two tunings. So um, they're sent out 
to serve God's ministry and to preach the word, which is pretty important. They're sent out by God himself to do this. Um, and then they're with Jesus when he feeds the 5,000. Um, but then there's an event where he foretells his, tells his death and um, <laughs> I got lost where I was. Um, but anyway, so those two events, you can see where that would kind of puff up the pride of someone serving with Jesus because they're sharing in this great mission, this great thing. And it's really easy when you're in those sort of things, when you're with like great people and you're doing great things with them, where you can see yourself as great. Like the idea gets in your head that you're great and it kind of puffs up your pride. And then we see this event with Jesus um, for telling his death. And it kind of mirrors what happens in this thing because um, what happens right before this um, account of of this argument and um, Jesus taking the child um, is is Jesus foretells his death and then he teaches a lesson and that's the same thing that happens in verses twenty one through twenty seven. Um, and basically the lesson that Jesus has by revealing his death is that um, you have to commit fully to Jesus and be willing to die for the sake of his mission. And, um, and I think the fact that these two mirror each other shows that there's something important about this lesson in the ultimate final work of Jesus and what Jesus ultimately does is death on the cross. Um, so I think that's really important to remember. And then... Um, I think a really, really important thing to put this in context of why the disciples might be arguing about which one is the greatest is um, this story in um, verses 37 through 41 where there's a boy with an unclean spirit and his father um, comes to the disciples and he asks them, please drive the spirit out of my son who's afflicted by this demon. And the disciples go to do it and they're unable to. They can't drive the demon out of this boy and um, Jesus rebukes them. He says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Um, so Jesus does the work for them um, and they're unable to do it because their hearts aren't in the right place and aren't pursuing the mission the way Jesus requires of them. <clears throat> so this heart's kind of revealed in this and the fact that they can't do it. And um, I feel like this would be a pretty big ego, because as I said, a lot of the events leading up to this, they really puff them up, like really make them think like, wow, there must be something special like about us that Jesus picked us to go and share in this mission, and then they're unable to do the mission. So I think a lot of this comes from a hurt ego, and then um, secondly, it comes from a misunderstanding of um, how Jesus' death ties into his greatness. Um, so, yeah, this argument comes up, and Jesus, um, like, knows the reasoning of their hearts. He takes the child, and he teaches them um, that greatness comes through service, not through claiming your name. Um, and before I go more into that point, I want to talk about the end of this section, verses 49 and 50, um, which... This part I've called the pride tribalism. Um, because what happens in this part is 
Well, um, before I get into talking about like what the disciples are doing wrong in this, I want to be clear that I'm not dogging on the disciples. Um, I think the disciples are in a position where they aren't ever going to look good in the Gospels because they're being contrasted with Jesus all the time. So if any of us were walking around with Jesus, we'd look like the worst of the worst because he's perfect. And um, then also the lessons that they learn, they're usually lessons that God teaches us throughout our lives. Um, and they're things we need to hear. It's why they're recorded in the Bible. It's not there so we can look at the disciples and be like, well, I'm sure glad that I never have issues with pride, because that's an issue with pride right there. <laughs> um, so as we carry on through this, we see that the disciples are kind of caught up in this tribalism and this idea that their group, because of their closeness to Jesus, is the group to be a part of. And um, it's kind of revealed how they talk about it because they get this rebuke from Jesus and then their immediate reaction, um, John's immediate reaction is to go, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Um, so their immediate thing is like, well, yeah, but there's this guy serving in your name that's not part of our group. So like, we have to be better than him, right? Like, because he doesn't follow with you. And um, yeah, they're saying their group is better than this group that's also faithfully serving, or this man who's faithfully serving. So, um, I think it's important to compare the lesson Jesus teaches then to um, the lesson that we see earlier in the ministry of Jesus, because it can be kind of confusing, because in, um, I picked um, the account of Matthew 22, uh, or 12, 22 through 32, and um, Jesus sees casting out demons, and um, sorry, this one I will takes a while to get to the pages. Um, but Jesus is casting out demons from these demon-oppressed people, and um, the Pharisees come up and they say, "Bless the work of Beelzebub. Now Jesus answers them is, um, if you're not with me, then you're against me. And um, what he says about this person, he goes, if he's not against you, then he's for you. And um, they seem kind of like lessons that kind of come into conflict with each other. But what we see is actually they reveal a greater like need for unity between the disciples and these other people serving in Jesus' name. Um, because in this other account, what happens, the reason why Jesus says what he says is because the name of God is being proclaimed in the work that he's doing. The Pharisees are seeing this and they're walking up to people and they go, that's not Jesus, that's Satan casting out demons. And what he's saying is, if you're not committed to the work of my work and my Father's work, then you aren't part of this. You don't share in my kingdom. You don't share in my ministry. You don't share in God's ministry. Um, so he's saying you have to be fully sold out for me if you want to be able to have these good things that come from it. And in this part where it says um, the one who's not against you is for you, it's focused on the disciples. It's focused on the um the church, local and universal. It's focused on if people are committed to the work of Jesus and they're doing the work of Jesus, you have no right to stop them because if they're not working against you, then they're working with you because we all share in the same mission because we're all saved by the same God. Um, and the disciples 
concern over this guy casting out demons, I think, uh, when you kind of look at it, I think, well, it kind of makes sense because they don't know what this guy really believed and things like that. But I think with the account earlier of the um, disciples being unable to drive out the demon from the um, man's son, we can see that it's really born out of pride. It's born out of like a jealousy against the fact that this guy can drive out demons and they can't. Um, this guy is more faithfully serving than they are. This guy gets the nature of Jesus' ministry more than they do. And they're outside of this group. Um, they're outside of this clique, this um, tight-knit community of believers that's very exclusive to the point that they won't serve with anyone. Um, they think that because their group is closer to Jesus, it has to be better because they're actively walking, moving around with Jesus. They have to be better. And this man is the one serving more faithfully. And we have no account about this man, who he is. We don't have a name for him either. It's just, I mean, he could have been some guy in a village and Jesus came through and healed some people there and he decided to go and follow in that work. He could have just heard about it from someone and put his faith in it. We don't know, but we know that Jesus knows his heart, and we know that Jesus knows that he's actively serving in his name, because as it says, Jesus knew the reasoning of the disciples' heart, so he knew the reasoning of this guy's heart, why he was doing what he was doing. But this issue of um, sectarianism or tribalism or um, clickiness, it's an issue throughout um, church history. We see it starting... Well, we can see it before that. We can see it in the Jews. There's a uh, division between the Jews and the Roman Empire and the Jews still in Jerusalem and in Israel. Um, we can see it later on with the church proper, like after Jesus' death and resurrection, with the differences between the circumcision party and the uncircumcision party, or the um, Jews and the Gentiles when they come together. And... Um, continued on, if you look at the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther is famous for um, calling anyone that disagreed with him on any issue a heretic. Um, <laughs> like, he thought that if they didn't agree fully with him, they were outside of Christ. Um, and what it comes from it, it's a pride. It's a pride issue. And um, we have to be wary of thinking that we know everything God does because we don't. And the fact is, is that we need to be open to working with other believers, even if they don't believe with us. Obviously, as Jesus does in this, you have to, the people you serve with, they have to be part of the church. They have to be proclaiming the gospel. They have to be, they have to be right on all the central issues, like the death and resurrection of Christ and the saving grace. Um, but we still should serve. And, and um, these divisions in the church are... Um, they're still here today, and there's some modern examples I have. There's issues of Calvinism versus Arminianism, or like being part of Reformed theology, or um, not. It's the people, I, I know people who have like refused to like go to a church because they weren't Reformed, or issues like that, and um, that's, that's not good. It hurts the mission of God. It's just so disunity for an issue that's not essential to the gospel. Um, the role of social justice in the church um, is a pretty big issue right now. How much should the church be doing about different social issues such as racism and things like that? Um, 
Like some churches say there should be no thing, and some churches are completely sold out for it. It's one of the main missions of their church. Um, Bible translations, KJV only as people that only use the NIV, people that use the ESV, people that use the um, HCSV. It doesn't matter. They're all preaching from God's word. And it's important. Um, political opinions can also divide people in the church and cause them not to be willing to serve with others. And like I said, it's a pride issue. And it's thinking that you have an exclusive, full understanding of the gospel. It's um, not, it's disunity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an unwillingness to look past yourself and what you're doing in order to do the work of God. And what it can lead to, like the disciples, is that no work ever gets done. Because there's, um, so an example um, would be for me is um, I work very closely with Matt for Life Collective at USI. It's one of the campus ministries there. And there's this other one, Campus Outreach, that has a very different worship style than we've ever had an encounter. And if they came up to us and said, hey, we really think it'd be a good idea to do this event where we're like feeding homeless people or we want to put on a concert and we wanted to know if we wanted to help. And like we went, well, we think you should worship a lot milder and um, I think you guys are just too loud. Um, like the guy from the first Back to the Future, you're just too darn loud. <laughs> um, that, that would be foolish. It would be um, pointless. It would just be tribalism for the sake of our own greatness and our own idea of what makes us great. We think we're better than them because we think we're closer to Jesus in this thing when that's not the case necessarily. You may very well be right on that, but that doesn't mean that they're not faithfully serving with God as well. So I think the important thing to take away from it is that as the church, we have to be willing to commend all forms of active service through the gospel by those that are within the gospel community. Um, and it's really hard to do because some of these divisions, they can be issues that are very, very close to your heart. Um, like you could be saved out of the situation where your misunderstanding of the gospel um, was such a big issue and this church has the things that kind of remind you of it, and it just terrifies you, because you're like, well, that's a slippery slope. That could lead to people thinking this about the gospel. This could lead to people think that they have to work good for everything. Or this could lead to people thinking that they're not doing anything wrong. When If they are solid on the gospel, and if these things you just think are issues because of your own biases, that's it's wrong. It's disunity. Um, for the sake of disunity, and for the sake of promoting your clique, and having exclusivity um, to other believers. So um, this kind of takes us into the point of um, how Jesus defines greatness, which I touched on a little bit um, it being through acts of service. So um, the fact that the disciples are arguing about greatness to begin with, it comes from an inherent um, misunderstanding of what greatness is. They don't get they don't get it, and um, lots of us don't get it, and historically, people haven't gotten it. If you look at myths and legends, um, especially Norse mythology, if you ever look at those, it's just Vikings going out because they, they're like, I want to be known as the greatest warrior ever, so I'm just going to go out and fight everything I can fight. Um, the, this world kind of pushes this narrative that greatness comes from making your name 
more known. You see it's um, talking about creating your brand to go advertise yourself and um, things like that. So it's still very prevalent and it's still an idea that like a lot of people have in their head that greatness comes from being more well known. Greatness comes from being closer to the right people. And um, this argument, it could have been argued for multiple ways. It could have been, I was given more power by Jesus. I'm closer to Jesus. I'm the most well-known of the disciples. Um, we, we don't know exactly how it goes, but it's about one of those things, most likely. It's about which one of them was the most important disciple. And um, in doing this, they're pursuing the um, world's idea of greatness, this idea of power and renown. Um, but as I talked about earlier, Jesus knew exactly where this argument was standing um, standing from, he knew exactly the heart of it. Jesus experienced um, all these things, and he was fully God, so he's fully omniscient of what they were thinking and what they were doing in this. <clears throat> so Jesus' teaching completely um, is the answer to this argument of what greatness is. And um, What he does is he takes a child and puts him by his side, and he says to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is the least among you all is the one who is the greatest. So um, Jesus' lesson that he's saying with this child, receiving this child, is he's saying that true greatness comes from service. Um, Jesus emphasizes this need for radical service by the example of children. Um, there's not a lot of great um, that there's not a lot of greatness to be earned in serving children. I say that as someone that's going into elementary education. Um, I don't get much out of um, teaching these kids. Um, sometimes I don't even get the kids' respects by <laughs> serving them. Um, no one looks around and sees someone actively welcoming and. Um, serving children and thinks, wow, like, that's that's the person I want to inspire to be. What Jesus is saying in receive this child, he's saying that's the person you want to try to be. That's the person that's truly great. That's the person that truly matters. And um, this example is even more so um, relevant in the old world when there's absolutely no protection for children. Children aren't considered any form of citizen. Like, um, today children are considered some form of limited citizen, and but they weren't at this time. They were literally completely up to the winds of whatever adult was around them. If their parents died, they were thrown out on the street and had absolutely no support. And while some of those things still happen today, it's a lot more emphasized in this world because it was the regular everyday situation of being a child in the context of this world. And um, the word receive, I think it's interesting that they translated it receive because in English, um, the term receive, it's more of a diplomatic term than um, a hospitality word. Um, if we use welcome, it doesn't really have much of an emphasis because we welcome much people in our homes. But if we receive someone, it's usually used like if the Queen of England came to the United States, we'd be receiving the Queen of England. Or if an ambassador from another country came, we'd be receiving them into our country. And it's this form of like extreme hospitality where you're willing to do absolutely anything for this person. And um, using this child, he's emphasizing 
that we have to have this idea of supernatural service, service that goes above and beyond what would normally be expected for everyone, everyone in society. It's not just reserved for those that are among the educated elite or the famous or the powerful or the thing. In fact, he emphasizes it by going to what the lowliest member of society would be considered. Um, what it's telling us is to go to the outcast people, the forgotten, um, the different than us. All these people are important. And um, I think it's important as a college student um, to like think about that while we're on campus, because we see people that are not like us all the time. Like College campuses are fairly diverse places with a lot of diverse ideas and a lot of diverse people. And um, one of the things that I wish I would have been better about um, throughout my years at USI is I would have been better about going to people that weren't as like me for the sake of the gospel um, because it's important. It's a command from Jesus as we see here. And um, it's an important command because actually at the Last Supper um, a similar argument breaks out and Jesus answers it pretty much the exact same way. Who's greater the one who serves or the one who is served? Um, so it's core to the ministry of Jesus that service is a path to greatness. And we see Jesus modeling this idea that um, service is a path to greatness um, throughout his ministry, healing lepers um, who are literally outcasted from society. They're forced to live in small communities um, away from everyone because this disease is so bad. People will die and people look at them with disgust and avoid them actively and show them no kindness. Um, adulterers, people that wouldn't have been looked very kindly upon by society. Jesus goes and serves them. Um, tax collectors, um, which were considered sellouts to the Jews because they were collecting money for the Roman Empire and the Jewish people considered themselves a group identity. So Jews that did that were considered like the scum of the earth. But Jesus goes to these people that are looked down upon by other people and um, serves them. He heals them, he offers them advice, he talks to them, and he invites them into his community. His ministry extends beyond just this group of um, good Jewish men, or as we put it today, a bunch of good Christian people um, in our context today. It goes to all parts of society. And then we can see Jesus' ultimate model of um, service to those that are completely unlike him in the cross because we're all completely unlike Jesus as I said at the beginning of it um, we'd all look as bad as the disciples if we were recorded in the story serving actively alongside Jesus Jesus is completely unlike us while at the same time being very very similar to us and um, is fully humanist but he's also fully God and in that fully Godness he's very very different than us because he's perfect he doesn't sin He's in the same situation as we are, but he's perfect through it. So in the cross, um, it's a final act of service for those unlike him. Um, and we see Jesus dying in service to save those that most people wouldn't ever think about saving, that God has no business looking at to save. And it's incredible. It's the great act of love and service. And we're received now by God in the same way Jesus is received. We're co-heirs to Christ. Um, and it's incredible. 
So um, to kind of wrap up the sermon, um, a few applications that I'd like to take away from this teaching is that um, in light of Jesus' teaching, um, we need to move from our pride to humility. That's the big theme of this, is that we need to put away our pride and be willing to be humble. Um, so the first point, um, which is actually the second thing, the second part of the story, is um, we need to move from the pride of tribalism to community with other believers. Um, we need to be willing to go across denominational lines or even church lines to serve and actively promote the gospel. Um, one of the things that I think has been really good this semester at um, Light Collective and showed a lot of unity in the church was um, our first few meetings were all centered on just showcasing different churches that um, were part of the body of believers of Christ and um, saying, hey, you may not like our church, but I'm glad that you're willing to like actively worship with us. And here's a church that may be more like yours, but we're all sharing in the same thing. We're all promoting the same God. We're all um, calling people to serve the same God. And I think it shows a lot of unity in the church in um, a time where um, polarization happens a lot. And then the second one is we have to move from our own self-importance to humility. Um, we need to not be like Booster Gold at the beginning of the story and um, go around um, acting like we're the greatest people in the world and that since we're, we're associated with this great group of people that we're fantastic and that we have we don't have to go out to other people. It's a we have to be humble. We have to be willing to humbly serve to the point that our name isn't known, just like this guy, just like this man who's casting out demons. Um, it's important that like our we have supernatural service for the gospel. Um, so yeah, moving from self-importance to humility. So um, this is the little thesis statement for my sermon that I wrote, and. Um, To properly follow the ministry of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to serve with all of the body of believers of the church um, to serve the whole of society. Now, um, so I'm going to pray us out now. Lord, I want to thank you for um, being able to come up here and proclaim your word. I pray that... Um, the words spoken here today were true and right and what um, you wanted me to say and what the church needed to hear, um, Lord. And I pray that, I just pray that your name was proclaimed here today.